The views and opinions expressed by hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the views of the Global Liberty Alliance, its network, sponsors, donors, or broadcast platforms. The Global Liberty Alliance provides this podcast for informational purposes. Freedom of speech is a fundamental right and essential for free societies to prosper. Thank you for listening and supporting the mission of the Global Liberty Alliance, dedicated to strengthening and defending fundamental individual rights, free markets, and the rule of law. And this is your host, Jason Poblet, with the Global Liberty Alliance, as usual, coming to you from Alexandria, Virginia, right across the river from Washington, D.C. Today, we are going to have a, a special guest who is going through a very difficult time. And I can't, I can think of a few things a family can go through that are horrible. And this would be probably one of the top five. And it involves a, a, a dissident, an Iranian dissident who has been kidnapped by the Iranians. They, he, he has been, in my opinion, taken hostage by the Iranian hostage industrial complex. And he is being held against his will in Iran. Um, we're going to speak with his, his daughter. Giselle Sharmad, who is joining us today from California. Giselle, how are you doing? Hi, Jason. How are you? Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for joining us, Giselle. And before Giselle, uh, we jump into this, I just want to give some context uh, to our listeners. You've had a, your whole family has had a, a whirlwind journey to America. And in the middle of you living the American dream, it became an American nightmare. And I know your father I don't know him personally, but I know he's a patriot. I know he is someone, based on what I've read about him and what the family has told me, uh, cares deeply uh, about his, his ancestral homeland now and, and uh, a place that you're from. And we're going to hear a little bit about the good part about Iran and Persian culture, which is they're, they're a phenomenal people, phenomenal country. It's just going through a very, very difficult time, but you have uh, folks like uh, Jamshid Sharmad, uh, who uh, came to America and continued to fight to liberate his homeland. And it reminds me a lot of the stories that my generation, my family, who left communist Cuba during the 1960s, uh, people who continued to fight to liberate their ancestral homeland. So uh, the story of Jamshid Sharmad that you're going to hear today is a very, you know, a lot of Americans have gone through this, and it's quite remarkable that he's been able to continue his work, and now he has become a, a victim again. And I say again, because in 2009, and we will share this with our, our, our listeners, you, you have a link to this special CNN uh, story about your father, who um, uh, he, the, the, uh, the Iranians tried to assassinate him on U.S. soil, and but for the work of the FBI and some other great people out there who learned about this, they saved his life, and he's been living in California ever since. Giselle, tell us first of all, before we talk about this horrible situation your family's going through, 
tell us a little bit about you know, your mom, your brother, how you came to this country, because it's quite remarkable. And I mm -hmm. think our, our listeners would enjoy hearing some of that for context. Sure, absolutely. Um, we moved to the United States because of my dad, actually. Um, he was the one that um, decided to uh, move to Germany when I was, I was born in Iran. And um, that was uh, a year after the revolution. So um, uh, they were politically active at that time. All of my, pretty, all of, pretty much all of our family members were politically active. And it was becoming more and more dangerous to stay in Iran. We had family members that were executed at that time. So they decided when I was one and a half years old to, to leave and to move to Germany. Um, my, uh, my dad uh, grew up partially in Germany. So he was fluent in German and um, he was able to go to school there and raise us over there. So um, me, uh, my, my brother was later born in Germany. Um, he, he was a family man. He uh, built a life for us, pretty much got out of the political um, sphere for um, most of our time that we were growing up to keep us safe. That's what he and my mom decided when I was born, that it was not safe to be politically active at that time. Um, when I was 25, um, he decided to move to the United States. That was his dream um, all along when he was leaving um, Iran to, to move to the States, which was not possible at that time. And he built a, a software company, um, uh, put a lot of effort into it and was able to get a working visa and move to the States with that visa. Um, pretty much like the moment we, 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 we got an established life and we were safe in Germany, he decided to move one more time and start from scratch all over again in, in America. That's such um, remarkable. To, that's, that's, um, that's remarkable. To, wait, wait, let me ask you something before, mm -hmm. before we talk about that phase of your life in America. Yeah. Um, you said that several of your loved ones, mm -hmm. uh, family members, people you didn't know were victims. You know, they were assassinated by... Yes members of the regime after 1979. I mean, your family, and I could tell your father and your mom, I, I've talked to your mom a few times, and I know that just by listening to her and her comments or just so brief that they probably protected you and your brother from a lot of this. So you were not exposed until maybe later to some of the political work your dad and, and uh, had done after the revolution. We were, we were not exposed to it as much as we were when we were um, older and over here and when, when they started to be politically active again. What they focused on, though, was um, making sure that we understand where we're coming from, our culture, that what is happening in Iran with the revolution, the Islamic revolution, that is not Iran, that is not the country they grew up in. And um, we had to learn Farsi. We had to learn to write and read Farsi, which was really really horrible when i was a child i didn't like that <laughs> but now i appreciate yeah. it because at least i can i can read like a like a, a second grader <laughs> well at least you at, at least you kept it going you know my family yeah. my family was the same way you had to even though we were in america i was born here so mm -hmm. we had no need for spanish but we had to learn it we had to write it and in our house i don't know how it was in your house but everybody spoke english but if you spoke Sp if you spoke in English in our house, people would tell you, I have no idea what you're saying. Speak exactly. Spanish. <laughs> oh, so they would exactly do it. So, so they would do it to you in Persian? 
absolutely they would not react if we if we like our our first language was german my, my brother was born there i was when i started talking i started talking german first wow. and we were not allowed to speak german in the house or they would not answer us so how was so, life in you know how was life in germany so when you were all growing up in germany and did your dad remain engaged with the resistance movement or did he get distance from that he got pretty much distance from that. He was still following from the from the far and um, the movement that was going on in Germany and the the um, intellectuals in Germany were very different from what he had in mind. And um, he did not feel triggered to be like engaged that much. Um, when he moved to America and he um, and he found uh, uh, different movements that were going on over here, he found his his uh, passion back and he wow. he felt the need to. To do something again plus we were we were older and he didn't feel responsible that much for for our life or exposing us to to dangers um then when we were when we were children um yeah, that makes sense of, i mean it's it's that's yeah. um i mean look what happened to your dad now which we're going to talk to that exactly. in a, talk, talk about that in a second but so he he leaves you and, your, and you know, the family the family of four leaves come to america he starts that software company and he remakes his life. I mean, this man's remade his life a few times. You've all remade your lives a few times. And it's, it's a very resilient person. He's had, I could tell he has a passion for computers, as your brother does, technology, broadcast. He's, mm -hmm. He is he's a journalist, but he's also a dissident. Um, so he starts his company, and you all grow up here. To the best of your, your knowledge, how did he get back into the Iranian opposition? Because a lot of folks don't know that there's a huge Persian community Persian American community in California. Uh, it's one of the larger diasporas, uh, some in Florida as well, and other states, but it's a pretty big community out in, in California. There is a huge community over here, and most of them are, are politically active. Like my dad would say, like everybody and their dogs here have a TV show or a radio show where they're talking about their philosophy and their engagement and their ideas of how to rescue the homeland and help people over there. So he was exposed to very uh, different approaches and different groups um, that caught his attention. The one that caught his attention the most was one that was um, started in, in England. And he was following them. And um, what they did was uh, uh, educational work, mostly um, translating the Quran, which nobody until then had done, and um, pretty much demystifying what the Islamic regime is doing and breaking taboos and like before people would not um would not feel comfortable uh, criticizing um the the state religion islam they would they would maybe criticize the government but not the religion and and um this group pretty much distanced itself like distanced the religion from from the state and their ideas were very interesting so, to him and what he did because he was um uh, uh, good with software and uh, websites and everything. He, he contacted them and he um, he offered to create a, a website for them where they can talk, where dissidents can come and have like a safe portal to communicate, to say what they're doing, to broadcast their their um, shows and everything. And that's how 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 he started. Um, pretty much he was still uh, undercover. Nobody knew that he was doing that, but um, he was happy to help. And um, me and my mom at that time would uh, still um, go back to Iran uh, during the summer, uh, visit our family. My mom's family is in Iran. My dad's family is not. So we would go um, once every summer to Iran. And we, we just got tickets at that time and wanted to travel back to see our family. 
when we saw that uh, um, in the Iranian um, TV, uh, my dad uh, was uh, my dad. My dad's picture picture was published over there, um, mm. together with my family. Um, for some reason, they found out. I don't know how the security broke on the website, but they found out that it was um, under my dad's name. So he got exposed, okay. and we found out before we went over there. So luckily, we did not take our tickets. We did not go over there because otherwise, we would be right now hostages. <laughs> Me and they my will, mom. yeah, they will. Yeah, for, for folks yeah. not familiar with how this works in Iran, uh, what Giselle has just described, uh, pretty much uh, would have resulted in them probably being detained either at a facility or house arrest or a combination, depending on what the uh, the 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 kidnapping party would have uh, would have decided, and it's a different groups, by the way. That's we'll get into that a little later. But it's 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 from that point. Do you think it was that point that started the 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 regime started to target your dad that led up to that point in two thousand nine that he was targeted? That's that's exactly when it started. I mean, the the group was already targeted before. Um, they did not know my my dad until okay. um, the website leaked his name, and once he was exposed, he was actually announced as the state's enemy number one, which right. we were making fun of at that time, um, because he was just a guy who who made a website. How can he be the enemy of the state? But um, uh, it it became very serious, and um, my dad, instead of you know being afraid and going undercover and regretting what he did, he he just he he deals with these situations the best way I can ever imagine. He he makes the best out of. It. He said, "Okay, well, now they know who I am. I can at least use my name and be public and speak for them." So what he did from that time on is he would um, he would work and put money into um, into making a, a a satellite radio station where he would mm. publish. Um, all of the teachings of that group, all of the dissidents' um, activities, he would he would take this as an advantage and like move forward with it. And he said, "Okay, now now I'm even going stronger. <laughs> now wow. that they know, and I have nothing to lose, um, let's let's just go for it." Giselle, we're going to take a break, and sure. we're going to pick up where we left off here. This is remarkable uh, stuff, and there's a lot more to unpack. We're going to go over a few things here uh, about what led to uh, that, uh, that fateful uh, trip for your father and your brother, who your brother, he, he missed. He, he, he could have been in this jam also. Uh, and, and we'll talk a little bit about that. So we'll be right back with Giselle Sharmad in California. Before we took the break, Giselle, you mm -hmm. mentioned that either your dad or, or, or you know, he, if maybe uh, he recognized that he had become an enemy of of the Iranian mm -hmm. leadership, right? Mm -hmm. And it, and it reminded me of a of a of a quote by a a Czech, very famous Czech uh, statesman, dissident. He was a he was a Czechoslovakian mm -hmm. uh, who very famous during the Cold War. Um, said that you don't choose to become a dissident uh, just because you decide one day to take up this most unusual career and 
he said it begins as an attempt to do your work well and ends up with you being branded an enemy of the of society and 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 that's why your dad i think has earned that honorific uh, term dissident because he um leaned into this he didn't lean away from the challenge and, and he and that's Frankly, that's how a lot of Persian Iranian Iranians are. They Iranians don't walk away from challenges, especially when they see a manifest injustice. They will lean into that. Yes, and and that's something that the diaspora, which has many points of view, uh, many different approaches about how uh, they think things could change, but they all agree that what's ha what's there now is not Iran, mm -hmm. and and your dad represents that. So. Going back to that period where we saw that CNN special, and again, we'll share the link mm -hmm. from the. So, despite the fact that he knew that he was a marked man, he kept going. He, you know, he they, they tried to they were going to try and assassinate him on U.S. soil. That's when the FBI got involved, and he said, "Okay, I know." In fact, I saw the interview before we did this recording. I saw it. <laughs> I saw it again, and he said, "Yes, I know," uh, but he kept going. What happened after that? Because your dad could have stopped, but he didn't. No, he didn't. He, yeah. the I remember from that interview that um, the reporter was asking, so they they tried to assassinate you, they tried to kill you, and the killer got um, is free now. Like, how does that make you feel? And all he said was, "Well, I'm still alive." <laughs> that was all he cared about. <laughs> That's... So um, no, he would he he he's not a person that would ever give up. He is extremely strong. Even right now um, in this situation, he's the strongest I could ever imagine. And he he gives us hope actually to to, to stay active and to not give up and to have hope. And uh, what happened after he? Um, I mean when we found out that somebody wanted to kill him and when he found out it, it was a major shock. Mm. Um, psychologically, I, I saw a breakdown in him and in our, in our family, just to realize that somebody, a government from the other side of the world could send an assassin to US soil and try to kill you. This person was in front of our house and tried to kill my dad for having a radio show. And it was so unbelievable. I believe that all of his medical conditions that he had after that, he developed um, Parkinson's disease, which is now very advanced, diabetes, heart disease, um, all of those things he didn't have before. And um, I, I believe that was partially triggered by this shock that he had. Um, despite that, despite of getting emotional and physically weaker and, and damaged, he would march forward and he would not give up. And he was working hard to make money, not just to provide for our family, but to make sure that he can keep the radio station alive, to talk for these people, to give them a voice, to, to stand up for, for what he thought is right, and even to travel the world. Um, I mean, before he left on this trip last year um, where he was um, kidnapped, um, uh, I remember that uh, the FBI was telling him that it was dangerous. He should not leave the country because he has been targeted. And that was not the first time he was targeted. He was targeted um, several times um, by the Islamic regime, but he, he, he couldn't. Um, he lost his job. 
uh, two years ago. Mm. And um, we were in financial distress. He had made a lot of debt because of the radio um, station, the satellite station that he had. And um, he he was never somebody who would take um, money or or owe somebody money and not repay it. So um, he said he has to go overseas, even with his sickness, even with his disease, with Parkinson's advanced so far, that he had to take medications every two or three hours to be able to function. Um, he, to, he, he, he wanted to go and he wanted to work and he wanted to get new contracts for his company and work and, and provide as long as he could and hmm. speak and fight as long as he could because he knew maybe in a couple of years he would physically not be possible for him to do that. You know, this must yeah. be especially hard for you because it's a hard for any child, uh, wife, son. Mm -hmm. uh, but you, but you also, you're a registered nurse, so you are juggling uh, a lot, including uh, being on the front lines in California in the pandemic. Uh, you continue to. You know, take care of your family, you and your husband are taking care of a young family, your mom. If Persian culture is anything like Cuban culture, mm -hmm. it, uh, the ladies get a lot of uh, responsibility by default, right? The oldest daughter, uh, there's a lot of responsibility that goes with that. Uh, how do you keep it together? I mean, how <laughs> you seem you seem to have a lot of your dad in you is, is from, from, from the sound of it, right? Thank uh, you. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> so how how do you keep it together, and 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 how is it that your dad, despite his many physical challenges, why do you think he le he leans in as much as he does on something like this? Um, it's it's the way he said it, and I asked him actually I asked him that um, one time um, because I was I was always interested in what what he was doing, and I was always challenging his views and why he would risk so much. And the only thing he said, simply says, um, there is so much injustice in this world, in Iran. If I don't do anything, who will? Hmm. It, it was just very plain and simple to him. We have to, I have to. And um, there was never a moment where he thought um, that his personal life or his personal things were more important than the lives of strangers pretty much in another country because he was not living under the pressure of the Islamic Republic anymore. He was safe and sound here in California. And he could have, like many other people, just put his money into his retirement or a nicer home or a nicer car. He did not care about that. And we um, as a family do not care about that. Um, maybe that's why I chose uh, to be a nurse. It, it is somehow like I don't know, inside your heart to help others. Mm. And that makes you feel like you're a better person or that, that you matter in this world. And um, even during the pandemic, and I was pregnant at that time uh, during the pandemic. And when I found out that my dad was kidnapped, I was six months pregnant actually. So it, it was a lot to handle at that time. Um, it was already hard to stay to stay healthy and working in the ICU and taking care of COVID patients and then being pregnant and then finding out your dad has been kidnapped and taken away. But I guess we can keep it together because 
we look at the bigger picture and it, it's something that's more important than you, more, more important than your individual life, something that matters so much and that I think um, is innate to all human beings to, to, to seek justice and to, to try to help others. You know, that message, I hope our listeners rewind and listen to what she just said, listen to what Giselle just said, because during the midst of all of this, when I first spoke with you, um, I had no idea, and you had no reason to tell me that you were pregnant. Um, and despite what had happened to her father and this family, they were tough as nails. You could not tell what they were going through. And one of the many things we discuss with, with, with folks that we work with sometimes on, on unlawful imprisonment and hostage cases is this balancing act, of course, that takes, you have to focus on you know, how much media, how little media, how much to engage, how not to engage and be brave. And I had no doubt when I spoke with Giselle and your brother and your mom, that that, that was not gonna be a problem with this family because you could tell how united they are uh, even despite these challenges, all families go through challenges, but they're being tested. And during a pandemic, imagine everything that the country's dealing with now, but Giselle's a nurse in California, uh, pregnant. Her father just got picked up by the regime who tried to assassinate him. And they kept it together. And they kept this case. They're, they're now becoming the voice uh, for Mr. Uh, Jamshid. And, and I think it's a testament to you all. And I hope a lot of Americans are listening. This is how we should be tackling the pandemic bravely and, and, and leaning into it. I know the work that you're doing and all the nurses are doing and all health professionals are doing don't get enough attention and they should because it's tough work. But you have it. I doubt there are many nurses in America who are in the predicament that you're in that has their father hostage of the, by the Iranians. So uh, uh, our heart's out to you and, and, and whatever we can do to help, we, we, we will do. And that's why we're doing the show in part because we're trying to raise awareness uh, about what happened. Let's talk a little bit about the path to the, what I call a kidnapping operation mm -hmm. because this man was kidnapped, my friends. Jashim Sharmad was kidnapped by agents of the Iranian regime and potentially perhaps with the assistance of foreign powers. So if you could briefly, and we'll post information on the site, folks, so you could read up on the case. There's a lot of stories that have been written about this uh, that you can read the details of it, but I'd like you all to hear uh, from Giselle how they think this happened. Right, so um, it all happened um, pretty much two years ago when my dad lost his job and he could not get any new position over here. He, his contract, which he had for his company with Germany, um, were terminated. So he had to go overseas. He had to go to Germany. And he had another company found in um, India that was willing to start new contracts. But he had to go over there, look at the machines, meet with them. So early this year, in the beginning of March, he traveled with my brother. My brother went with him because of his health condition to assist him to India. Um, unfortunately, when they landed over there, the pandemic was full blown and India shut down. They shut down pretty much all of the streets and all of the businesses very early. 
um, tourists were not allowed to leave their um, hotel rooms or their Airbnbs where they were staying. Um, they were not able to even go outside and buy groceries. Um, the country was promised to reopen like pretty much every week, but it remained closed for three months. So they were prisoners in their own Airbnb over there for three months. And they were, we were talking to them over the phone, um, FaceTiming them all the time, making sure that they still have enough medication for my dad, which was hard to get. And uh, finally, when the, when the country opened up and he, he was able to travel again, um, they decided, but the, the pandemic was still going on, they decided to return back to the US first and um, flew uh, on the first flight that they were, were able to afford because the first flights were so expensive. They were like $6,000 per flight. And um, the first flight that they could afford was um, going um, from Mumbai to Amsterdam and then from Amsterdam to New York and then back to California. Um, in Amsterdam, my dad was not allowed to board the plane because he was not a, a, a US citizen or permanent resident. At that time, America had put a travel ban. So people like my dad who had a, a valid visa were not allowed to enter the country at that time. Only green card holders or citizens like my brother were able to come back. He was told that he had to go to his country of residence, which is Germany, uh, the country of citizenship, and um, talk to the consulate over there and see if he can get uh, his visa approved to come back to us over here. Even though he has lived here for almost two decades, um, he was not able to come and join us. So my brother came back and my dad went to Germany the consulate was still closed over there and just opening up. It took them forever to give him an opportunity to meet. So he decided since the flights opened up again to go back to Mumbai and at least use that time that he has to wait over there to contact the companies and, and get the business at least rolling and make some money. Um, they spent at least uh, 20 or 30,000 just on, on hotel bills and flight bills and all of those things that got canceled. And he, he, he really felt the financial pressure and he wanted to make sure that uh, he can at least make some money during that time. The first flight that he was able to get went from Frankfurt, Germany to, um, to du Dubai and then from Dubai to Mumbai. When he was in Dubai, he talked to my mom over the phone. That was on July 28th. They had the last video chat at that time where she saw him in his hotel room. And she was worried because he, she was in a, a Middle Eastern country and she did not feel safe. But my dad um, gave her his Google tracker and he said, look, honey, you can watch me over the tracker. You see where I am all of the time. And he would leave his hotel room, go like in, in the front lobby and say, can you see me move? And she would, she would see it on the tracker and feel more secure. Like, like she can, she can uh, rest assured that he's gonna be okay. And Giselle, Giselle, uh, mm -hmm. Giselle, um, well, don't folks listening, don't forget that little footnote there about the uh, Google tracker. It's an important, uh, mm -hmm. important fact. So uh, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so she would see him on the tracker and, and be okay with it. That was the last time she was able to see him. And while the tracker was still on, he would not respond to our messages. He would not respond to our phone calls anymore, which was absolutely unusual for him. He would talk to my mom on a daily basis or FaceTime um, with my mom so she, that she can see him. 
and there was just radio silence for two days. On the tracker, uh, my mom was seeing that he was moving from Dubai towards the country of Oman. And then the tracker finally stopped at the, at the beach of Oman, which is close to the, 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 um, the sea, which on the other side is Iran. Mm. That scared the hell out of us. Mm. My mom did not tell me until the next day. And two days later, on August 1st, um, we were woken up by family members that told us there is a YouTube channel that's showing your dad is being held by the Islamic Republic. And my family called me and I went over there and we watched the video that showed my dad blindfolded on Iranian national TV, admitting to crimes that he did not commit. And they were saying and parading that they um, uh, caught uh, um, uh, a terrorist ringleader in a complex operation, which is pretty much kidnapping him and dragging him through two different countries to Iran. And that's when we thought he was dead. We, we did not believe that he would survive that. We believed because they tried to assassinate him several times that they just got a video statement from him and killed him. Mm. We did not have any contact with him. We could not get a hold of any officials over there. We just knew they had him and he must be dead. What did you, you know, what did your family think? Did you, at that moment, uh, decide to, you know, let, let's, re before I ask you that, let's mm -hmm. rewind a little bit. Mm -hmm. when, when your brother and your dad were separated, uh, I think you told me, or maybe your brother may have told me, he wanted to stay with your dad, right? At one point, or he, he did. Yeah. He did, yes, he did. Um, and your dad basically said, no, go. You got. You have to go home. Exactly. Um, okay. If and he stayed he made, with him, he would be over there too. I was going to say the Iranians um, and whoever helped them. You know, mm -hmm. ever since I've heard about your case, I've always felt that there was no way the Iranians did this on their own, mm -hmm. and they had the help of certain governments that I hope in time they will be exposed for what they did for facilitating in a hostage taking event. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that eventually will go public. But fast forward to that point, that point that your mom and all of you realize this is going to be a serious issue. So when you knew your dad was not, when you, when you, you, have, you were able to get proof of life eventually, uh, that time between the moment you saw that video and you finally heard from your dad must have been extremely difficult uh, for all of you. Absolutely. I mean, the moment we saw him on, on that video um it looked like one of those videos that you see where before a beheading where somebody is just like exposed makes a statement and then they they, they behead right. them pretty much that's 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 all i could think about and we went into complete panic i think i called everything from the fbi to the german government to the um government officials over here to interpol and just like naively like thinking asking for a number um, of officials in Iran where people were laughing at me that saying there is no number you can't call somebody over this is not like a restaurant where you call for the manager this is the Islamic Republic you can't call them and, and ask to speak with somebody they don't they don't uh, respond 
uh, I had no idea you can't even call Interpol on that. that was, I was just trying to call everybody. I, I wanted no, you to obviously, post it. I wanted you to called the right people, though, because you, you eventually uh, did make contact, and they made contact with you. Uh, we're not going to go into that mm -hmm. uh, here, but um, you mobilized, and your family mobilized, and eventually, of course, you learned uh, that your dad was indeed still being held unlawfully in prison, held hostage, being falsely accused of crimes that they, uh, you know, there's all there's this paranoia in Iran, as you know, Giselle, mm -hmm. that if you come from America, uh, you, you have to be doing something nefarious, right? Yes. And, and, and it always has to be something with the CIA or, yes. or who knows. They always, you know, just because you live in America and you happen to be a, a Persian Amer American who happens to be involved in politics, Oh, that must be CIA, uh, or or who knows FBI or some operation, and uh, we must accuse them of something. And they'll call. Then they, uh, they, they 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 they'll invent things. There's no rule of law in Iran. The courts are controlled by an interesting constellation of officials that report indirectly to the supreme leader. Now, there's some good lawyers in Iran, some great jurists, and I, I've known many of them. Uh, some of them end up in jail too, by the way, uh, uh, the lawyers do. So it's not easy to get a defense. In your, in your dad's case, though, unlike some other cases we've seen, it became very high profile very fast. Uh, and what did you think when you saw Iranian officials talking about your dad at very high, high levels? Uh, uh, it must have been a little bit of a shock to you but probably no surprise considering uh, how vocal your dad was and, and, and the people he was supporting. It, it was no surprise that higher officials were talking about him because I know um, that they have been requesting um, from, the, from the US government that he's be, he be handed over to them for, for years in, mm. in many conversations. So they've been targeting him for, for a very long time. Um, because of his openness and because of his portal and because of his support and outspokenness. Um, he's been a thorn in, in their eyes forever. What surprised me was really that he was still alive. Hmm. I thought after trying to assassinate him that he would not survive that. I thought, because there, there are many cases where hostages are taking just to negotiate with other countries and to to the, the person is not of interest to them. They are just used or being abused in order to make negotiations. I did not think that of my dad's case. I thought they wanted my dad dead. And now it's been six months and the, the, uh, we first heard of him that he was being alive uh, one month after he was taken. And that was actually the moment that made us start uh, being more active. Because up until I've done that time, I've pretty much saying goodbye to him in my in my heart, <laughs> mm. and thought he he was not he was not alive. Maybe tortured or or something, but but not alive anymore. So well, hearing him, hearing his voice, and being able to talk to him one more time, that was just it gave us so much energy and sh so much hope. And then finding people like you and who 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 were so helpful and uh, Richard Radcliffe and other families that reached out to us and explained to us like what to do and what to expect in that situation because you're not prepared for this situation it doesn't matter who you are you will never be prepared for this situation 
where a family member is taken hostage by another government. And you just don't know what to do and what to think. And it was really good, like all of the insight we got and finally like knew what we had to do. Because usually um, my dad was the person that I would ask for advice about mm. everything. Mm. about everything even though i would do the complete opposite of what he said that's i was right. always interested that's what daughters do knowing what he would think and and it would start start my brain for working well but you learned you, not... you you learned well and uh <laughs> we're, we're going to take one more break uh and we keep talking to yourself charmad about her dad before we break i'm sure you know this but the intelligence services when they picked up your dad uh, they took credit for it and called it a complex operation. Uh, so they've admitted to this. They've admitted to a international kidnapping incident involving potentially Oman, who knows, some other governments and the UAE or Dubai. We really don't know. Uh, but they haven't hidden the fact that they kidnapped your father, that he was targeted. And uh, uh, you you did well. You you and your family stepped up and... It's, it's tough. And we're gonna, that's, th that's what we're going to talk about when we come back. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, in fact, there is no book, if you will. There's a lot of resources to help families when these things happen. But every case is unique. But there are some things and that Giselle did that I believe helped save her father's life. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. And also discuss whether or not Giselle thinks Iranian-Americans should be traveling to Iran, considering what's been happening to uh, Americans and others of Iranian ancestry. We'll be right back. We're talking to Giselle Sharmad, who's out in California. Uh, she is the daughter of uh, of an American. I, I consider your dad an American. I think deep down, I think your dad, even though he's uh, in, in in transit, I know what he wanted to do and. In his mind, I believe he's an American. He has strong U.S. connections. Um, he's made a home here, and he's under the protection has been of, of, of the United States in very special ways, uh, which we will not talk about today. But, you know, when this sort of thing happens, there's no uh, road, you know, roadmap. There's no book that you can hand a manual to someone, hey, this is, what, this is how you deal with this. There is, you, you know, have to know your risk. You travel. Americans can go just about anywhere in the world without restriction, including Iran. Whether or not you should do that is another question, uh, but you should always know the risk, especially when you travel to places like Iran, that these sort of things can happen. And what happened to Giselle is pretty common, unfortunately, even though it's getting a little better, but there's no phone number you can pick up. And up until recently, you have somebody who is dedicated to this. Uh, there is an office now at the State Department uh, hostage affairs office at the State Department, and we'll post some links there so people can learn about it. Uh, but there is no substitute for the families and for the advocates to get engaged. You know, how was that? I mean, because you described it a little bit. You're, you're also getting some help from friends in Europe, since your dad still has a German passport. And there have been some folks in the Bundestag, I think, in, in, the, in the parliament out there in Europe that have been helping you. So Tell us a little bit about that, and uh, then I'll ask you some questions about what we can do. You know, what, what can we do from here? And uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up with that. But how was it in that mm -hmm. beginning, you know, those 72, 48 hours, 50 hours, 
trying to get your bearings and what advice would you give people who are going through this? Mm-hmm. That I, want, I just wanted to add um, to what you said, Jason, about um, the intelligence in Iran um, admitting that they pretty much kidnapped my dad. Um, in the first uh, 24 hours before we went to the press and showed them that we had a tracker that showed where my dad was, they were um, pretending that he that they had different different statements. First, they they said that he was inside of Iran, like he just traveled there, and they 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 did not kidnap him. They arrested him there. Then the Sabah said that he was in Tajikistan, which Tajikistan quickly um, cleared up and said nobody can even travel to Tajikistan at this time. We have a travel ban. And then they said that he was in Iraq and all kinds of different um, stories until we published our footage that showed pretty much on the tracker where he was, where we lost track of him and how he was kidnapped. After that, they just called it a complex operation. Yeah, because, um, and, and that's what I yeah. meant earlier when yes. I said you saved his life because, uh, but for the fact that your instincts were right, you had the tracker, you knew where he was, he broke out of that pattern of contacting your mom. You all knew something was not right. And you instinctually, your dad and your family trained you well, uh, you learned well, you, you push back. And that's brave. Uh, some, you know, some people would not have done that. Uh, but I'm convinced that helped save your dad's life. And you caught, you outfox the fox. You know, you, you <laughs> the Iranians thought they had this whole thing, lock, stock and barrel. You know, they're, they're good, but they're not as good as they claim to be. And you uh, you 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 flanked them very well. It was an excellent thing you did, and I believe it saved your dad's life. It for for people who go through this, what one piece of advice would you give them? Be besides, of course, educating yourself before you go to these places. I mean, do you think it's safe for Iranian Americans to travel to Iran as much as they do? Obviously, it's not safe to be anywhere in the world um, when people can just be picked up by other governments. So. Um, no, I would, I would definitely not travel to Iran. I would not travel to countries of the Middle East, like Dubai, that claim to be like holiday spots and like very mm-hmm. tourist friendly, and then turn out to be places where people can be picked up by other governments. Um, I would not advise to, to go there or to support these countries um, unless they, they change their policies, unless they change their laws, unless they they respect human rights and unless they they make sure that people are safe over there, I would not travel. Um, of course, we cannot restrict ourselves to to just staying in the U.S., which my dad didn't do either. He, he As soon as he had to, he traveled. Um, I mean, there is freedom involved in, of moving right, and right. getting to other places. But um, I don't think it's safe. And um, I think we, we as an international community, we have to make sure that we point that out, that we fight against it, and t- that we do something that makes it safe. Um, because it's, it's not an isolated case. As you, as you said, it's getting more and more. Ruho Lazam was kidnapped in Iraq and then taken to Iran and executed in mid-December last year. Um, pretty much another person who, who had a radio station or a TV station, I think he had. And um, if that becomes a pattern, if, if governments, I don't know, other governments that take hostages can just come and, and pick you up because they don't like what you say or they don't like what you do or they think that they're, they can reach out of their borders and, and 
execute laws in other countries, that's not safe for anybody anymore. No, it's not. And, and you're spot on with that. And the governments that were involved in facilitating or turning away or allowing what happened to your dad, I believe, in addition to the people who kidnapped him, should be held to account. And of course, the first priority mm-hmm. is to bring your dad home and bring him home safely. And that's part of the reason why you're advocating and speaking out um, in public. And mm-hmm. it's, it's a good thing. I think you have to keep his name out there. And in most cases, unless you have another reason not to, uh, for safety considerations, you should uh, be out there and speak to folks. In Europe, you've had some support. In fact, uh, you've had some support from German members of parliament. How, how has that been? Have they continued to help the family? Uh, in the beginning, that was the first person, um, Omid uh, Nuripur, he's uh, from the Green Party. He was the first person that I, I got a hold of. And he was great at, at facilitating some um, communication between us and the uh, German embassy in, in, in Iran. Um, he pretty much uh, talked to them and made sure that they would answer our emails because we're not over there. Um, we're not able to to talk to them in person or call them all the time. We we communicate through emails and sometimes it takes forever. So he was the first person to find out who uh, the embassy is talking to, that he is still still alive, and what is happening over there. So he he was great, and he he I think he drafted a a, a paper for the for the German um, government to request formally that uh, um, dual nationals like my dad be be brought back home. And um, right now, to be honest, I don't see much support from Germany um, at this time, uh, not from the government officials, not from the embassy, not from the um, foreign ministry or the politicians over there. They've all pretty much quieted down. Um, I don't know. This is a good case. Isn't this a good example (laughs) of where maybe the Americans should be working together with their ally Germany uh, mm-hmm. to help secure the release of, 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 of your dad. Uh, this is a good case of where these countries should be working together. Absolutely, everybody should be working together with whether it is through prisoner exchange or other ways of getting him back home. That, that is, I think the, the responsibility for all of these countries to make sure that these kinds of crimes by other governments can take place and, and they they stand up for them. You know, one of the one of my criticisms about the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, that JCPOA, mm-hmm. uh, was this very issue about human rights and fundamental rights. There, there were Americans and others held hostage in Iran who were traded um, after the fact, and they left people behind. Uh, mm-hmm. They left people behind, and and I believe that if the United States is going to join any type of an agre- agreement with Iran, uh, uh, like that one, again, before America does anything, if we do anything, that's not really an issue that I'm concerned about. I'm more concerned Mm -hmm. about people like your father. Mm -hmm. We should get the release of these people first. And until that happens, there is nothing to talk about with Iran. Zero. Um, Absolutely. And and that is, we should be putting those interests. That's what the State Department's there for now. They have a whole, the 11th Act is now law. Uh, there's a lot of things that have been put in place, more mechanisms uh, to help men like Jamshid Sharmad uh, come home, be reunited with their families. As we wrap up, Giselle, 
Mm-hmm. And I could have kept talking to you and we probably will have you back if you if you'll come back and, and spend some time with us. We'd love to have Anytime. an update on this uh, when you can do it. What message? Two things. What message do you have for folks listening to this about your dad? And if you want, you can say something in Persian. Also, uh, this does. For some reason, we have listeners in Iran. We're not sure who is listening to it, but we do have people in Iran. I'm sure they speak English, but if you want to say something in Persian to his captors, um, you know, feel free to do so. So what message do you have, first of all, to Americans and folks listening to this podcast? What what can they do to help? Uh, what they can do is pretty much what you do. I mean, the, the most help is from getting his story out, from being loud, from helping us, um, from helping, for helping us speaking up on his behalf. I mean, he has spent his, pretty much his entire life speaking up for other people, being the voice of dissident groups in Iran, giving them a portal, giving them a voice, supporting them. Now his voice has been taken. Mm. Now he's the one that needs us to speak up. And whoever helps in that way, is that that's what, what's helping him the most right now. Being loud and and making sure that he's been heard and not forgotten in all of this um, pandemic and everything that's going on and all of these politics that I don't understand. And um, personally, of course, um, whoever is able to talk to government agencies or has relationships, if they can contact us, and people who can help us financially with our GoFundMe that we have for paying for lawyer fees and all of those things and helping my mom to stay afloat that would be important. But the most important thing is for people to not, this is to the Iranian community, for people to not be scared because they heard this story, to not be afraid to continue fighting for their country um, because that is what the Islamic regime wanted to do by by taking him out and to to, to, to show other dissidents that they're not safe in the country, that this can happen to them, that journalists are not safe for speaking up. And I don't want people to listen to this and be scared. I don't want people mm. to, to step back. I want to, to, for them to see that and see how necessary it is for them to speak up and keep fighting and be loud and, and support each other. Even, even if the, the um, political groups don't agree on, on their goals or on their strategies, support each other and make sure that nobody's left alone in that point. Because the most devastating thing about this whole thing was when we felt that we were alone in this. And people who came and reached out to us and held our hands and supported us and called us and gave us advice, they're the people who made it all worth and they're the people who help us fight this. Well, Giselle, I think we're going to leave it there. I couldn't have said that better. You are a one brave lady. Um, I could tell if I ever were sick, you're the type of nurse healthcare professional I'd want taking care of me because I know you'll fight. And um, your dad, Mr. Jamshid Sharmad, your mom, your brother, on behalf of all of us, uh, we're, we're there with you. We'll do what we can. We'll keep shining a spotlight on this. And we will make sure that our colleagues in Iran uh, listen to this, but also here in Washington, D.C. Uh, we, we have um, raised this matter before. We're going to continue to raise it. And we hope that our colleagues in the U.S. government and those who are in a position to do so uh, step up, uh, defend 
fundamental rights, defend human rights, put politics aside on this issue. I've always said they move on two tracks. Just because you're talking with a country you disagree with doesn't mean you can't talk about human rights at the same time. In fact, I believe we have an obligation as Americans to put this issue at the top of the list of everything we do in any country, no matter how bad the relationship is. Uh, Mr. Jamshi Sharbad was kidnapped. He's being unlawfully held. He's been denied due process of law. He's sick. Uh, he needs a medical care. He needs to be reunited with his family and the politicians let them keep fighting, but this has to be priority for the United States. Thank you so much, Jason, for having me. And thank you so much for all you do for all of the hostages. And your work is just amazing. And I'm so happy that I found you and mm. <laughs> for all the well, advice and all of the talk. <laughs> it's a team effort. It's a team effort. And uh, we, we, we enjoy what we do here and uh, we hope we can do more uh, to keep uh, helping you and your family. And we thank you for taking so much time from your day. I know you're busy taking care of a little one there, but uh, Giselle Sharmad from California, so please say hello to your parent, uh, your mom, uh, your brother, and uh, you're welcome anytime uh, to the Global Liberty Alliance. Thank you. Hello, fellow Liberty Warriors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way uh, to make a podcast. It's free uh, for starters. There's also uh, an awesome creation tool. If you don't want to hire a producer right away, you can record and edit your podcast right from your phone, right from your computer, anywhere you are at any time. It's uh, distributed for you. So that's really important. Once you record this, you need to get it to the right platform. They will do that for you, including on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and many, many more. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast. It's all in one place. It's very easy to use. So give Anchor a try. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm to get started.